And welcome to season three of the JKR podcast presented by JKR Baseball. My name is Jay Shriglin and I will be your host. We're excited to continue the JKR podcast with season three of episodes. This season, we are expecting many great series with top-tier travel organizations across the country, while we also spotlight commits, collegiate, and professional players from across the United States. It is our goal to be the player's platform for all of prep baseball. As we continue to do this, make sure to stay on top of the J-Care podcast episodes, but also tune into the other features that J-Care Baseball presents. That includes blogs like the lineup card written by John Sparacco, player-based events like Battle of Indiana, Summit City Baseball Academy, and other events being announced very, very soon. With Season 3, that comes two new programs for athletes to enjoy. Those are the JKR Brand Ambassador Program and the JKR Athlete Creators Program. To stay on top of all these features, check out jkrpodcast.com to learn more. I genuinely appreciate everything you guys have done for me and the JKR brand over the past two years, and I hope to continue to build both the JKR brand and the game of baseball for years to come. Let's dig into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode sponsor is Mind Baseball, located in Dallas, Texas. Their bats are made from 100% European beech wood, which allows for more density, which then leads to more power. I mean, who doesn't want more power? We all know chicks dig the long ball. Multiple studies prove that beech outperforms maple, birch, and ash that you're probably used to swinging. Beech wood straight grains mean for less breaks, and Mind Baseball exceeds the MLB regulations in that category. Are you also frustrated with seeing the dried paint spots on your barrel? Mind Baseball uses a family secret technique that leaves a perfect finish every time. If you set their bat next to another brand, you will make sure that you see the difference. Lastly, they also use a built-in grip to reduce vibrations. It is the same technology that is used to reduce recoil in rifles. Make sure to check them out. Go find them on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Um, on Instagram, their username is at mine, M-I-N-E, baseball. Check them out, but let's dig into today's episode. And welcome back to the JKR Podcast. Today we have Dugout Coalition co-founder, Extra Innings Indie South owner, and Indiana BAM fan president, Jake Banwart on the JKR Podcast. Jake, super pumped to get you here on the show. I've been seeing a lot of social media stuff of BAM fam, some of the other stuff you got going on. So uh, excited to kind of dig into everything that you've got, you know, going on in your, in your baseball journey. So uh, again, pumped to have you here on the show. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, man. Doing great. A busy morning with a lot of calls. So a little bit behind in my routine, but we'll get it through. So doing good. Okay, there we go. But, you know, before we do dig into the baseball side of everything, you again, everything you got going on of being a high school coach, travel, you know, owning a travel program, doing all these different things. I do like to ask one question to everybody that gets on the JKR podcast to get it started. And that is for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Who exactly is Jake Bandwork? Yeah. I am a very dedicated, passionate coach who who got into this because I love people. Um, I love baseball. I love people. And I think the combo of both with the right mindset. My, my biggest goal um, as a person is to impact as many people as possible. And, and I think that this is the avenue that I've kind of been led down. Um, this is what I feel called to do. And it's been it's been a journey from teaching for nine years to, to now being baseball and softball full time, um, you know, coaching high school to coaching in a program to starting a program and it's been a journey of of honestly just 
making people say no, asking people questions and and seeing what the response is and taking advantage of every opportunity that I can. And um, it's been a little bit of a different journey. I didn't play baseball in college. Um, so that was that was an uphill battle at first getting into the coaching side. But um, for anybody that that does know me, like what you see is what you get. I'm, I'm just very I try to be as transparent as possible in, in a business that a lot of times the stigma in travel sports is that it's the opposite of that. Um, and, and we just want to treat people well, help them accomplish their goals. So uh, I think we've done a pretty good job of that, but there's always room to grow and, and we're excited to keep it moving. Okay. So uh, I do want to throw it back there a couple of years to kind of, you know, maybe your baseball upbringing, kind of talk about maybe where that passion for baseball came from, Yeah, you know, going through your baseball career, take us through, what was that baseball upbringing? Maybe where that passion for the game come from? Yeah. So I'm the youngest of three, three brothers. Um, I'm 33 I have a 35 and 36 year old brother. So we all grew up together and um, I was a 1990s baby. So we didn't have social media. We didn't have facilities that were readily available, all of those things. So for us, it was just, we had a house and our neighbor had a house and they butted right up to each other, made a perfect wiffle ball field. Um, and they had one boy, we had three. So we always had two on two. And it was just the everyday neighborhood stickball, neighborhood wiffle ball, the environment of that, of, of like really the game teaches you in that setting. It's different today, but um, I just fell in love with competing. I was, my, my brothers and I were all high level Taekwondo athletes. We, I took third in the junior Olympics when I was younger. So we, we kind of did it all. I did Taekwondo baseball. I did tennis. I did football for a little bit. Um, I played basketball through high school. So I was more of an athlete than just a baseball player. And I knew for me, like I wanted to work in sports in some capacity. Um, but it wasn't until I got back into baseball after college that I really figured out like that baseball was exactly where I wanted to be. So a lot of it, like I look back and, and most of my memories are just great memories with my brothers hitting ground balls, playing wiffle ball, just, just being kids. And, and when the game is surrounded by joy like that, it's really easy to fall in love with. Okay. So you said that you always knew that you wanted to work in sports, but you know, you weren't exactly sure what sport that was going to be until yeah. you got back into it. Kind of take us through that. You know, what'd you do that get started within that baseball um, side, when was it that you decided that baseball was the route you wanted to go? Kind of take us through that decision-making process. Yeah, some of that was was hard decisions on the front end because I, I student taught at Daleville where I got my first actual teaching job. Um, and when I was there, there was an opportunity to help out as a basketball coach. So I helped with the varsity basketball team, got involved on the basketball side first. Um, and when a job opening came up, it's a very small school, a little 1A school, and they basically said like, hey, we, we want to hire you. You did a great job student teaching, but we really need another baseball coach. Um, so it was one of those, like my wife was pregnant. I'm fresh out of college. I needed a job and I know baseball. So it was like, okay, let's do this. Um, and it was more of a necessity on the front end than anything else. I, I think at that point in my career, I thought basketball was going to be the route um, for me. And from getting involved in baseball and seeing it from the coach's eyes a little bit differently, um, I realized that that my love was truly on the diamond again, and I wanted to be on the baseball side of things. So I, I did both. I did baseball and basketball for about four years um, and and had my first travel opportunity from actually a dad at Daleville, a small, small program. Um, they were looking for some coaches, and, and I got hooked up there. Through that, I knew that I couldn't do it by myself. So it was good old Facebook blasted out to everybody like, hey, who's interested in coaching? What connections do I have that I don't even know of? Um, and Adam Gauker and I went to college together, but we, we weren't like, we didn't, we just didn't know each other very well, you know? So he reached out and, and said he was, you know, interested in coaching. And that was kind of the start of everything. Our friendship really, really began after college through coaching. And, you know, we did one year with that travel team. 
Uh, we were 23 and 22 and, and dumb enough to think that, you know, every program has things that they can do better for sure. Um, but it just wasn't the right fit for us. So we, we looked at other programs to, to potentially go to, um, had some good talks with people. And, and ultimately, really what happened for us starting it was, you know, there's a lot of programs that wanted us on board. We had a, a no-name team that went out and beat Bulls Black at, at the uh, 15U level, which nobody expected. And suddenly, of course, there's interest, right? So for us, when we started, it was really the idea of you get development teams and you get exposure teams. And, and really, when you take, when you strip all that down, what that means is the exposure teams are typically really talented and the development teams are kids that need developed, right? Like that, that's how everybody looks at it. But for us, like we saw that there was this, this gap between the exposure kids and the development that they were getting to help them be as ready as possible for the college level. So our, our mission was to bridge that gap. How do we have a program that really focuses on development and expose our players in the right tournaments and right areas to, to get recruited? Um, and there really wasn't anybody doing it in the, the way that we saw that it could be done. So we were young and energetic and we're like, let's do this thing and started our own. Um, we had one team and then two and then 12 and and now we're up to 42 between baseball and softball which is wild so it was really just kind of one foot in front of the other um that kind of led it down this path but i think like the the advice that i would give to everybody is like as simple as it sounds don't be afraid to take that next step like i think we get so open-minded on like we want to do all these things but we can't condense that down into what's the action step so people just spin their tires versus like what's my next action step how do i get closer to that goal today and if you're consistently doing that and then you look back over time, like it's it's wild to see what we've done in the last 10 years at this point. Mm -hmm. And I you, obviously, you know, that's the main point. I want that to be the main part of the conversation yeah. today, talking about BAMFAM. Um, again, want to dig into just a couple other things. Yeah. Beforehand. Obviously, BAMFAM, with that being the big thing, we want to make sure, you know, that, you know, that comes near the end. No, but, you're good. Um, I guess, you know, you being such a young guy, you said, what, 22, 23, as that coaching career was getting started, yep. you're coaching basketball and coaching baseball. Um, take us through maybe some of those biggest lessons that you had there at the beginning when you're, you know, you're coaching Daleville and just getting started yeah. in that coaching career. So I think, I think the biggest lesson is like, you learn a lot about coaching, but you learn a lot about yourself and you figure out like when you work with kids, it's the greatest accountability that you can have because you have to be what you say you are. And, and they read through the crap. They know if, if that's a lie. Um, and if you want to be a good role model, like you have to actually be that all the time. So that was step one for me of, of you go from being a college kid where, you know, life feels different in college. You can kind of make whatever decisions you want. You learn along the way. And then suddenly you're put in this role model position and, and you're supposed to be this guy that, that has all these kids back that helps them through everything. And you're still learning life yourself. I think, you know, for a high school kid, they look and they see a 23, 24 year old. They think you're an adult. But I mean, even at 33, like I still feel like a kid. So there's a lot of learning that goes in from from the self side of that. Um, I think from the staff side of things, it's it's hard when you're young and you feel like you know a lot and have a lot to offer because finding your your footing in like, how do I come across with that? How do I work well with others on a staff that, you know, maybe I don't agree with 100% all the time. Um, those are all, all learning things that happen on the front end. And then for me starting family, a lot of it was time management. Like, like what is the right amount of time to spend on passions or things that I love versus what is the right amount of time to spend with my family? and be present at home. Um, and, and that's still a learning curve 10 years in, I think, you know, it's a, it's a constant struggle to find that balance. And I don't necessarily think balance fully exists. It's more of time of year and, and being present where you are when you're there. Um, I think it becomes really important, but a, a lot of it was, was those things. It wasn't necessarily the X's and O's 
uh, of baseball or the Exodus and O's of basketball. It was more of how do I have the biggest impact, present myself in the right way and in the way that impacts the most people and how do I work well with others and, and find myself really collaborating versus competing. And, and I think there's a lot of coaches that like, it's so competitive and I'm the same way on the field. Like I want to win every game I play, but at the end of the game, all of our goal is pretty much the same. So how do we help each other and grow the community rather than just compete against one another and make enemies? Um, and that's that's hard to learn. As a, as a very competitive person who wants to win everything I do, there's some bumps along the way of figuring out exactly, exactly how to carry yourself and exactly what that demeanor looks like on the field, what your non-negotiables are, what the culture things that you want to do are. And then really, when you get into year two and three with some of that, like how do you adapt what you do to the personnel that you have, especially at the high school side, right? Like you don't get to pick your players. So at the end of the day, like you can have this great system in place, but if you don't have players that match that system, how do you adjust the system to, to keep your non-negotiables, but also put players in a position to, to maximize the potential that they have? Okay. So, uh, you know, at that time there, when you were at Daleville, I know you had the, ch you had the opportunity to go uh, win an IHSAA yeah. state championship, kind of take us through that. Can you talk about building a culture? You know, what was yep. that like building the culture, building the programs where it was to win a state championship? Can I take us through that whole uh, journey and what that experience was like winning that, uh, that state championship? Yeah, it was, it was an awesome year. It was one of the hardest years I've ever experienced coaching, to be honest. Um, and, and a lot of that was like pride and ego getting in the way and things that I had to work through because basically I was an assistant for a year going into that second year coaching. Um, I was part of the interview process for, for the head coaching job. Um, and they told me that in the first interview, they said, Hey, we just got to go through this process. You're our guy. It's like, all right, let's go. Like excited about that. A young kid, like ready to roll. Um, and then they brought me in for the last interview and said, Hey, we're, we're actually going to go with, with coach Terry Turner. He's been at Anderson for a while. He had a great career. Um, and won another championship after I left. He's a great guy. Um, but but as a young guy hearing, hey, this is yours to, hey, we want you to to run the defense, to, to run the pitch calling, to run all of this stuff, but you're too young. And that's what I heard a lot in, in my career early was you're too young. And if it fails, we look bad. Um, and, and that's a hard, hard take for me. Like, in, in my opinion, if, if you're really good at what you do, I don't care how old you are. I want to put you in a position to do that. Um, and, and they just felt differently and they have every right to do that as an administration. So I went into that year with a chip on my shoulder a little bit, wanting to help the kids as much as possible, but also with a little bit of ego of like, you know, I feel like I deserve more than this. And I, I don't feel like I was treated the greatest. So I had to balance that, especially early in the season and figure out how to let all that go and, and just be the best that I could be for the rest of the staff and for the players. At the end of the day, none of them made that decision. So it was something that I had to work through, but um, it was it was awesome. I think it from a 1A school, we played more of a 3A schedule. So I think record wise, we probably lost eight to 10 games on the year. Um, but a lot of that was who we were playing, which prepared us really, really well for for postseason baseball. Um, that was the first year that I got to go ahead to start shifting and scouting. Um, so we ended up shifting about 35 percent of players uh, that season with full righty or full lefty shift. Um, that is you know, I say, I still do that today and I get a lot of questions because people are going to beat it. You know what I mean? Like it's going to happen. That's part of the game. And every time somebody beats it, you hear the crowd like, oh, why are we doing this? And, you know, I get it. Um, but anything that I do, there's always going to be data behind it. So, you know, when I'll go, I'll go in and I'll track every high school at bat that a kid has had on Game Changer through the play section to see exactly where they hit it. We know first pitch percentage in play, first pitch swing percentage, first pitch average. We know every high school ball that they've hit and where it's gone and what the result has been. So I'm looking at a spray chart of three to four years on these guys. And I'm a big believer that 
I want to make high school kids do things that they're not comfortable doing. And, and if you put them in that position, there's a lot of really good players in our area right now. But at the end of the day, they're still 15 to 18 year old kids that a lot of times they get themselves out of their approach. They're going to try to do too much. They're going to try to go the other way when they can just hit a bomb to left field. Like do that guys. Like don't try to beat the shift. Uh, but it was the first year that I had to go ahead to do it. And, you know, every, every couple of years I'll watch the state game back. And it's funny because you hear the announcers early in the game, like, Oh, they, they have a shift. You don't see that in high school baseball. And it just makes me laugh um, of kind of where we were, but credit to coach Turner for kind of giving me the reins to to do that and call the pitches and, and work with our guys from that stance. And, um, I think the hardest game that we had was probably semi-state. So, you know, our, our, our sectional, I don't want to call it easy. There's one, Cowan was pretty good. They had one really good arm. And, and honestly, at the 1A level, if you have one or two really good arms, a lot of times that's going to mean that you go relatively far. Um, we were fortunate enough that all nine of our starters played travel baseball at the time, which is rare for a 1A school. So we did have really good talent. Um, and we ran into a Blackhawk Christian team that was really, really similar um, we made some incredible defensive plays to squeak out a win there. And it was one of those, as soon as we won that game and, and we knew we were going to victory field, you felt like we had just won it all. And, and you just got that feeling that like nothing was going to stop this team from, from finishing it out. Um, Lanesville was great. They had a good arm. Brendan Booby pitched well. Um, but, but we had a guy who was like 76 to 78, but he spotted everything and it was fastball, it was curveball, it was slider. He mixed in a knuckle three or four times a game and it changed. So he was a five pitch guy um, that just hit spots and kept people off balance and we defended it behind him. So absolutely electric environment to, to be at the Vic. I've been fortunate enough to coach there four times between state and then three uh, county championships for Marion County over there. And it never gets old, man. Like you, you walk out onto that field and I always have the team just take a moment to look around and get their surroundings and recognize what they're doing. Um, and I feel like if you don't do that, they're going to do that in the middle of the game when you don't want them to. So, you know, giving them time on the front end is unique, but, but being on that field in front of, you know, people that you care about, but, but also people that you don't even know are part of that, that community that care about what you're doing. Um, it's really, really unique to see the impact of people that are like secondary impacts from, from the things that you're doing. And, and that was kind of the first time I saw that and realized like, it's contagious, man. Like you get there and people think like, okay, I've accomplished it. No, like you want, you want all of it. You want more of it. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Like I want to go back to the Vic as much as I can and play there. And you know, it's kind of where Perry is too. Like they're, they're in the same boat. They want to get back there every single year. And we've been fortunate enough to have a few opportunities so far. Good. So kind of touching base there on the whole shifting side of it, you know, scouting, you know, kind of seeing all the, the, the data and statistics yeah. behind it. But that is pretty cool. You know, obviously my baseball career, we never kind of went through that in terms right. of like, you know, scouting teams. So I guess, were you always a big data guy when it came to the game of baseball or even, you know, you know, coaching basketball as well? Uh, kind of take us through that whole maybe process of convincing uh, that uh, you said Taylor was his coach. Taylor was Turner, his coach Turner. Yep. Turner Turner. So yep. I said, take us through that of, you know, maybe convincing him that, Hey, let's start shifting. Let's start, let's scout a little bit more this and that, you know, kind of take us through the whole process. Yeah. I think on the front end, there's, there's a lot of pushback, right? Cause it's just different. You don't, you don't see it very often. Um, so my process was like, if, if I wanted to do it, I needed to be able to provide the data that would support why we would do it. So I went in and I started tracking it all. Um, I have a big black book somewhere in this office. It's like this thick of, I mean, I, I, I ran into a couple of players that are in college a couple of weeks ago and like, I have their spray charts and they were like, yo, will you send me that? And, and now I try to give them away to the seniors when it's the last time we're going to see them. I'm like, dude, take it. Like, it's kind of cool. You can have it. Um, but it's, I've always been a little bit of a data guy. I think that there's a, there's a mix, right? You get, 
the new school of it's all data all the time. You get the old school of like, it's intuition. You got to feel that out. And, and there's a mix for both. The, the data is going to tell you what's going to work more often than not, but like you get a feel in the game too. And, and just because the data suggests it doesn't mean it's always the right move in my opinion. So I think like having the data is just more information and information is power. So when you look at, when you look at high school baseball or even high school basketball, anything like that, and you look at the numbers, you, you can tell pretty quickly who the guys are that you don't want to beat you. Right. And at the end of the day, if you make somebody beat you, that typically isn't the guy to beat you, then you're going to win more often than you lose. So especially at, at 1A schools, whether Daleville or when I went to Liberty, um, you know, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle when you're playing bigger schools. You, you don't have the talent pool to choose from from some of these. So a lot of it was like, how do we give ourselves an advantage that other people don't necessarily have? Um, and it's almost like the, the money ball scheme with the A's, right? Like we do, we do a lot of things with data to where like we need to know how valuable a player is. We need to know what the percentages are in certain situations of, of us getting somebody out versus throwing to them. And then we need to play those numbers and put ourselves in the right position to win games. Cause at the end of the day, it's all percentages and it's all a gamble, right? Like you're, you're making a choice and you know, there's never a guarantee that it works out. Um, and, and I've had to get really comfortable with the idea that if I make a decision, it doesn't work out. My process is to look back on that and think like, would I make that same decision? And if the answer is yes, then even though it didn't work out, like I can live with that. I'm, I'm good with that decision. I, I can back that a hundred percent. So with coach Turner, it was literally bringing him in the whole team of Yorktown and their scouting reports right before County and saying like, look, Yorktown's way better than us. They have more talent. They're going to beat us unless we do something different. So let's try something different. Right. Like, and, and that's where it started. And he was in for a game. Um, they beat us, but it worked. Uh, we had a couple balls and, and this still happens. We had a couple balls in the shift, go right to the guy up the middle in the shift and then right through his legs. And it's like, well, we can put him there, but you know, what are you going to do? That, that stuff's going to happen. So it was really interesting, but um, he saw the the value in it. And I think what he saw too, was a lot of players that the most common result when we shift isn't a ground out into the shift. It's a shallow fly ball to the opposite outfielder. Because a lot of guys try to go the other way, but they can't because they haven't practiced it. So they drop hands and suddenly we get a shallow fly ball. So we always take our opposite outfielder. We move them in. So they play a little bit more shallow to cover cover the flares a little bit. And he saw guys striking out or changing swing path and trying to beat it so much um, that I think that's all it took for him to be bought in with it was that, that guys that can beat you are now going to try to change their approach to hit a single the other way. And that's great. We did it. We actually did it to Mason Braun this summer. It was awesome. And the dude put down a perfect drag bunt that beat the shift. And he was all stoked on first. And I was all stoked in the dugout. Like, hey, we just made Mason Braun not swing the bat. And he's on first base instead of second. Like, this is a win for us. This is great. So it's one of those, like, great play by him. But at the same time, if we can get a player that has the ability to leave the yard or go gap to gap every single at bat to try to bunt, we're winning. Like, that that's fine. He's taking the, the bat out of his own hands, and that's a win for us. So – for us, it's just, it's give and take, recognizing what you're going to gain versus what you're going to lose and figuring out, you know, what's the game plan going in and then execution of that game plan is always, that, that's always what it comes down to, right? You can have the best plan in the world, but if you can't execute, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. No, I was uh, I was at the, with the Cub Scout team down in Jupiter with, with yeah. and Braun on that team. And yeah. there was a team that, that was, they weren't like totally shifting against them, but there's there a little bit of a shift going on. He laid down a butt and looked, looked pretty damn good. So, I mean, yeah. obviously that comes from the experience probably from that game when you guys, when you guys. Played it might've been. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we went four outfielders. We, we did that. So we do that for like 
very few guys, but really high level guys. So when, when, I mean, Max was in our conference, we saw him a couple times. If we threw to him, we went for outfielders, um, Hogan, a lot of times we go for outfielders, Mason, we went for, um, and, and actually the first time we ever went for outfielders was County championship against Ron Colley and Nick Schnell was there and he was hitting lead off and we went for outfielders and he didn't care. He, he took a first pitch slider of the game, which we like never did. I'm a big first pitch fastball to start the game guy. We went slider to him and he took it off the 417 sign in left center over our shortstop's head. So it was like, we, he didn't care. It's like, put as many guys out there as you want. I'm going to hit it over all of them and props to him. I mean, that's why he's getting paid to play baseball at this yeah. point. Yeah. We've had, we've had some fun stories with it for sure. Um, but, you know, obviously you go ahead, you know, after Daleville, I know you went and coached it. It was about a year or maybe a two years there at Liberty Christian. Yeah. Um, and you went to Perry Mer- Meridian, I believe that's yep. how I say it. Uh, yep. You're currently there now. So take us through, you know, after Daleville, going to Liberty Christian, going to Perry Mer- Meridian as well, you know, taking along that shifting with you as well. Maybe was yep. there a process to convince, you know, during the interview process, hey, this is what I'm going to do. It's been proven to work. So I'm going to do it no, no matter if you like it or not. Um, kind of take yeah. us through that process of going to those couple different schools and maybe even bringing that uh, um, that uh, mindset with you as well. For sure. So I think when, when the Daleville season ended, we obviously won a state championship. We were losing a lot of seniors. And, and that was the point in time that I think every coach gets to where you know you're ready to be a head coach. Um, and, and I just felt that. And, and I was I was okay going to a place, r- really any place, um, and testing myself and putting putting myself on the line there to see what I could do with whatever talent I got. Um, and Liberty was a place I remember, you know, rolling in for the first time to their school and and seeing what looked like, you know, a, a gym baseball field where you would do kickball, all that kind of stuff, whatever. And, and going inside, doing the interview and and uh, Jason Chapel, their athletic director, he's great. He was like, let me show you the baseball field. I was like, cool. I didn't see it. And we walked out to that same field that was overrun with no fence and no backstop. And he was like, this is our baseball field. It's like, all right, so this is what we have to work with. Let's do it. Um, and, and I'm not one to shy away from, from, you know, potential issues or problems. There's always a solution. So uh, we put a lot of time into that field. Uh, we had players that, that were bought in early and, and Liberty Christian is, is a basketball school. Like they, they crush it. Um, Coach Chapel does a great job there with, with the basketball program. They had never won more than six games in a baseball season. Um, and I knew that going in and I loved that. Um, and it was one of those, because it's 1A, you get the difference is a lot of times, a, a lot of your best baseball players are also playing other sports. And, and some do that at the 3A, 4A level, but it's just not as common anymore. So off season was difficult because, you know, we'd run an off season workout and we'd have three kids there because, you know, the other 12 that we're going to try out, we're all playing basketball. And I think what a lot of coaches do is they just cancel their workouts then. You know what I mean? They're like, well, if I'm only going to have three and, and I was bought into, if I have three, then that means it's more time for those three. And we're going to develop the snot out of them with every moment that we get. Um, and, and we did that. So they bought in heavily to, we run Matt Tallarico's steel basis program. Um, I've run that everywhere I've gone. I think it's incredible. So all of our guys know traditional leads, modern leads, lefty hybrid, righty hybrid, how to use those, what to look for. And, and at the 1A level, honestly, like that was enough within that conference to just create chaos and, and cause teams to throw the ball around a lot um, and, and figure out how to win some games. So we had two or three guys that could swing it a little bit. Um, we we could bunt it really well and we were fast and they bought into, we're going to be great on defense and we're going to throw the ball over the plate and see what happens. Um, we didn't have any phenomenal like next level arms, um, but we had guys that were, you know, mid seventies that would throw it over the plate. So 
we we ended up we we went 15 and 14 something like that um first winning season in program history uh we won their conference for the first time ever it was awesome it was an incredible year and i think like the best part about it was you see all these kids on the front end who have never won on the baseball field that don't feel like they have the ability to win on the baseball field and you watch that mentality shift throughout the year where suddenly they start to believe a little bit and the team that starts to believe is a little bit dangerous and they start to believe a little bit more and, and we went into a game against university and needed to beat them to win the conference essentially um, and they were way better than us and, and it just everything went our way that day and baseball happens like that sometimes we were on the right end of the stick in that one but um, you know beat a really good university team on, on a couple of plays that I would never call if if we had the talent to just let guys stand in and hit um, but we ran a, a three-two suicide squeeze with a kid who had never played baseball. Uh, he was a college basketball kid. Uh, he he went up there as a runner on third with one out, and he called time and came down, and he looked nervous, and he said, "Coach, what do you want me to do? I can't hit." And I was like, "I know. I want you to stand there until you get two strikes. Like, let's hope you get walked because you're really fast, and we can work with that." Now we got a first and third, but he goes one two, or he goes one zero two zero two one. 3-1. I'm like, all right, maybe 3-2. And I told him when we met, I said, look, if you get two strikes, I don't care where the next pitch is. I need you to get a bunt down. Like we've practiced that. You haven't swung at practice. All we've done is bunt. Trust your training, get a bunt down. He's like, okay. So he gets a bunt down. They overthrow it. We score. He ends up on third from that and then scores on a pass ball on the next pitch and we win the game. And it's one of those, like you look from baseball logic and it was a dumb call. You know, I'm like, who calls a 3-2 squeeze? Who does that? Um, but based on personnel, it was the right call. And I'd make it a hundred times out of a hundred. If I was in that opportunity, knowing the guys that I had, knowing how they could execute and everything like that. And I think, you know, with media these days, you get a lot of coaches, you know, we saw, I saw it with Eric last year, him getting blown up of talking and then Max goes deep on him. And, but I love that from Eric, like that's Eric and, and he's owning what he does, who he is, how he coaches his team, the demeanor he wants to have, like, I have so much respect for guys that just go out and believe in what they're doing enough to follow their process and not be worried about what's going to come after, who's going to say what, like we can't control those things. So I'm a big believer in like, if I can't control it, I can't complain about it and I'm not going to concern myself with it. So like the, the focus in that moment was get it down. And after the game, their coach was like, Hey, I, that was stupid. I don't know why you did that. I'm like, I, yeah, it was dumb, but it worked. Right. And sometimes that happens. <laughs> Welcome to sports. It's what we love about it. <laughs> you know, you, you talk about that. You talk about Eric in that game where he's talking to Max. I was, I had the chance to see that in person. That, that was pretty cool to see um, going on there, but. Oh uh, my gosh. I love um, it. So having a chance now to coach at Liberty Christian that one year, um, you know, obviously turned around that culture going around from, you know, walking up to a field that had, you know, it was all beat up, you know, only six wins to where you guys yep. ended up being at to now where you're at Perry Meridian for how many years have you been there? Man, uh, I six or seven. The COVID year always throws me off. I think this is technically season six, but year seven. Okay. So uh, I guess kind of take us through that too, like going ahead, moving from Liberty Christian to Perry Meridian, yeah. um, what it was like going into it. Like was the program culture um, as bad as what it was at Liberty Christian when you were first going in? Take us through, you know, building that and maybe even some adjustments you had to make going from one program there at Liberty Christian to another um, there at Perry Meridian. Yeah. Well, and I think the first thing was I was at Liberty for a year and then I left and I hate that, you know, like I, I'm one that I want to put down roots and grow with people. And, um, you know, I, I left that place better than I found it for sure. But there's definitely things that I wish I would have done differently in the leaving process. 
I'm still in touch with them. I think that, that Jason, their athletic director does an incredible job. And I remember when I called him, letting him know that I had been offered the paramaridian job, he answered the phone and just said, you're leaving us, huh? And, and that's how he started. And I was like, dang, but you know, from talking to him after he, he knew, he knew that, that I was, you know, not going to be at the 1A level forever. And, and it was kind of a, a stopgap to get to where I wanted to go, but you know, you can, you can say that and you can think that, and then you leave behind people and relationships on. And like, that's, that's never easy, regardless of how long you're there. So, you know, that part was hard and it, it just made sense for me at the time when I was coaching at Liberty, my family was living in Pendleton. Um, I was teaching at, at Daleville, uh, and then coaching at Liberty. And then we had just bought extra innings on, on the South side of Indianapolis. So my day was all over Indianapolis, North South. Like I was in the car for three plus hours a day. Um, and it was just a lot. So the, the Perry job made a lot of sense. It, it's really close to our facility. So it kind of put me in a central location with everything that I was doing. Um, when I got it, they, they had talked about how the culture really was, was not in a good place. Um, I followed coach Carpenter is now at Santa Grove and, and I love coach Carp. I think he's great. I, I think there was just a group that there was a disconnect between how he liked to do things and how they wanted to receive things. Um, and, and it, so it wasn't necessarily like we needed to fix a ton. It was just, we needed to change the delivery uh, on some things. Um, and, and for me getting started with that, like the senior class, I think we had four or five that went on to play in college, which was great, but they were so, put off by, by how things had been run previously, that it was a lot of just building trust at first, like building trust, showing them who I am, um, being the same guy every day and, and allowing them to gain some comfort in having fun playing the game again. Um, and that th there was, it's funny when you take over a group like that, because they, they were okay. They, they weren't a bad team by any means. Um, but you're going to fight the way that they want to do things, the way that they've always done things, the way that you're coming in and trying to do things. And it's nearly impossible to put in every aspect of the culture that you want to see in year one. It's you just can't do it. You're going to be fighting an uphill battle. So we chose a couple big things that that were going to be really important to us. Um, one of them being the the way that we communicated with each other. Um, the other one being the discipline that they practiced with and that they went to games with. And, and we had a pretty good year. Um, I think we were slightly over 500. We we made it to the county championship, which was the first time that they had made it in a very long time. Um, we lost to Ron Colley in it, who hands down, they were more talented, um, but it was a two to one game and, and we were right there. We fought the whole way. Um, so, you know, it was a good first season, but but there was something left on the table. And, and I think over the last five or six years, it's been constant shifts in many shifts in like what our focus is based on the group, what our culture is going to be. Um, and then the non-negotiables. And for us, like we're going to run the bases hard. We're, we're going to play some small ball. Um, we're going to steal a ton of bases. We're going to get thrown out and that's okay. Um, but we're going to create pressure on the base paths. Um, for us, it was, we're going to limit strikeouts. Like high school guys make errors and, and we need to create more opportunities for them to make errors. So we want to add throws and we want to add plays to what they're doing. Um, and then as, as much as clock isn't a thing in baseball, it isn't travel a little bit, but in high school, we wanted to control the tempo of the game. And, and if we could push the pace of the game and be on and off the field in 20 to 25 seconds, every inning, and the other team, we're waiting on the other team the whole time, um, then they're not ready to go as soon as we are. And, and that's going to be advantage us. So we track things like time of possession, as, as weird as that sounds. And we implemented what we call our squad goals, which is the 11 main goals that, in our opinion, dictate wins and losses most often. Those are scoring first, quality at bats, offense and defense, free bases, offense and defense, strikeout rate, offense and defense, 
um, and first pitch strike percentage. So, so we started tracking those um, and, and you could see players start to figure out the game within the game a little bit. They'd have a quality at bat and you hear the dugout start like complimenting their quality at bat and cheering for them on that, even though they just got walked versus, you know, the negatives on, on a strikeout guys coming back with their head down and doing all that, those things weren't accepted anymore. So of course you're going to fight that battle a little bit. And, and I was put in a couple of situations and I tell my guys all the time, don't put me in a position to have to, to have to make a decision or to have to sit you, but sometimes they do, right? Like I'm, I'm not cool with throwing a helmet or, or doing those things. So unfortunately we, we had a couple big games that um, we ended up still winning, but we went into the last inning without our best players on the field because a guy would strike out and throw his helmet. And it's like, sorry, man, like that hurts us. It hurts me. It hurts the team, but that's bigger than baseball. And like, we were going to have to sit you for that. So we fought some of that, um, you know, a couple of years ago was, was a really good team, but I would say one of the least competitive teams that I had. Um, and, and that weighed on me heavily to where it was just like, they enjoyed playing the game, but they didn't care if they lost. You know, like they liked if they won, but they didn't really care if they lost. And, and I just can't wrap my head around that concept. Um, and, and we butt heads a little bit. And I remember, you know, we finished that year and, and going into this last season, I sat down with everybody um, and I handed them each a piece of paper and I, I just broke it down to them. I, I want to be really honest with all my guys all the time. And I said, listen, I want to do this and I want to be here and, and I have some opportunities to go other places, but I don't want to do that. But what I need to know is like, one, do you feel like you can win with me as your coach? Two, are you bought into the culture aspects that that we want to put in? And three, can you do that consistently? And if you can do those things, I'm all in. If you're all in and we're going to go and win a county championship. If you're not, all I need is one person to write no and, and I'll resign tomorrow. Like I, I, I only want to be here if guys want me here. Um, and surprisingly, everybody said, we want you here. And our whole staff was on board with it. And, and the culture last year, was one of the greatest things I've ever experienced. We had we had a big focus on, on a couple of things, but number one was was we wanted to lead the country in power hugs. So I'm a big I'm a big uh, physical touch guy. I think that people feel better when they get physical touch, but guys don't want that long embrace hug, right? So it's literally one smack, boom, that's it. You move on. It's a power hug, right? So so we wanted to lead the country in power hugs. But there were no more high fives going out to practice every day. Whole team would power hug at the end of practice. Whole team would power hug. Every pitcher I pulled, power hug before they left the mound. Every mistake somebody would make, power hug before the next inning. And it was just this unique way of clearing the negative that had happened and letting them, them know, like, hey, we still got you. You're good. Go go focus on the next play. Um, and at first they fought it, right? It's hard. It's weird. But they started to buy into it. And, like, some of my, my favorite videos are looking back to when we won the county last year at Victory Field of dudes just giving power hugs in the middle of Victory Field. And there's one picture of a kid who's a great hitter. And we took him out senior, took him out in the seventh inning um, for a better defensive infielder. And that dude is like standing on the gate, just cheering for everybody, even though he had just gotten pulled in the biggest game of his life. And and like, that's what it's about. It's about getting guys bought into a culture, getting guys bought into something bigger than themselves. And when you can get them to truly believe like that, then they're capable of literally anything. So it's it's really unique. I think like one of the things I take pride in is how many guys I'm connected with after they graduate. Um, and I still hear from a lot of players and like, that's the impact. You know what I mean? Like the county's cool. State championship is great. But in 10 years, no one's going to remember who won the Marion County Championship in 2023. So like in 10 years, my impact is like what guys are still reaching back out to me? Who am I connected with? And, and I'm seeing that now as I get older, which has been probably the most rewarding piece of, of the coaching journey at this point, for sure.
Okay, so making big jumps there from 2022 to 2023 with that squad. Moving into 2024, not too many, not too many weeks away before that high school season yeah. started. So, uh, what are those expectations you have here for that Perry Meridian team there for 2024? Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely a shift in how we're going to do it um, compared to last year, but but the goals are the same, and uh, th that's a county championship. That's that's a sectional championship. Um, you know, if you're setting goals that you're hitting every year, you need bigger goals. So, you know, those are the ones that we're always going to set conference is meaningful to us. Um, the hard part with the high school schedule, as you know, is like, we get into a point in the season where if we make the county championship, that means we, we can't throw our conference guys in those conference games. If we want them to throw at the Vic in the in the county. So unfortunately there's some decisions that every team has to make during those, um, and I think it's important for coaches to know, like, which one's more important between conference and county. And, and Marion County is unique of the county tournaments because it is at Victory Field. So, like, there is that that extra oomph to it um, to put you in that position. So, like, for us, it's those two things. Conference, uh, of course, we would like to win, um, but that's not a primary focus um, until we're in a position to potentially win that and, and have a decision to make with the county. So, you know, we bring back our, our number one and our number three on the mound. Those things help. Um, our defense is going to be tremendous. Uh, so, so I like our chances as long as we throw strikes and defend, but we graduated some hitters for sure. I mean, we had four or five senior hitters that, that really carried that lineup last year. We have a couple of juniors coming up that, that are really solid that had good sophomore seasons on the varsity side. And we have a, a sophomore this year, um, that hit over 500 last year on JV. That's going to be tremendous for us. He was just blocked by seniors in every position and, um, and now he's going to get his chance. So, how we're going to do, we're going to have to play a little bit more small ball again. We're going to have to, you know, handle the bat a little bit and run a little bit more than we did last year, but it's just a different recipe to get to the same success. So, you know, the goals, the goals haven't shifted at all. Um, you know, the motto that we went with last year was, was just Perry and, and that's going to stay the same this year. And some people hated it and, and some people loved it. Um, but really it was, it was two part for us. Like Perry Meridian is not a baseball school. I mean, you had to ask how to pronounce it, right? Like it is what it is. So, a lot of people like they know Perry for wrestling. And and I love that because I I like the ability to build something, you know, like I see that challenge. So, um, you know, when you talk to anybody in our area, you got the Ron Collies and, and you got, you know, all, all the schools in our neck of the woods in our conference with Franklin and Mooresville and you get some high level baseball schools. And it felt like for the last three or four years, whenever we were on their schedule, it was, it was, oh, well, we got this game coming up with this school. Oh, but our conference this week is just Perry. We're fine. And, and we heard it from, from players. Oh, you guys are just pair. We're not going to, we're not worried about you. So for us, like, that's great. Like we want to be just Perry and, and the us in it is the most important part because for us being just Perry, like it's all about us. We, we control only the things that we can control. We don't control outside opinions. So last year, the guys were really bought into not even looking at the media stuff, not even caring about the rankings. None of it matters. You play the game on the field. It's cool. Like I love it for the kids, but to some extent, like, it's meaningless until you play the game, right? So it, it was unique to get them bought into that and to see them really take that demeanor on. Um, and that's really number one. Like if we want to accomplish the things that we want, they need to have that same demeanor that it's it's only about us, control what we can, approach each day with joy and enthusiasm, like control the controllables and leave everything else outside where it belongs and don't bring outside things to the internal circle of what we're doing as a team. So if we do those things, I think we're going to have another successful year and I'm excited to for the challenge of doing it differently. That's the fun part for me with high school. And the difference between that and travel is like travel, you can go and get your guys. High school, you get what you get and you got to figure out how to win. And as a coach, like that's a big challenge. And that's a really unique 
side that I think a lot of guys that just do travel and don't mess with the high school game, like they don't recognize that because they've never experienced it. And it's like, commend, you got to commend every high school coach that does that of figuring out like based on personnel, how do I find success in? Yeah. So uh, I guess looking back on the past nine, 10 years, since, you know, you started your high school coaching career, they're coaching around that Muncie area when you're there at, uh, um, at yeah. Daleville, now coaching in the Indianapolis area. I know you said there's times when you're facing Max Clark, when you're facing yep. Logan Denny, you're throwing four outfielders out there. Again, yep. the Indianapolis area is absolutely loaded with guys going to that next level. You know, when I'm thinking of Muncie, I'm thinking of Cole Barr. I don't yep. know if that. Yeah, he was he was on that Yorktown team that we okay. played. I, I figured with the timeline, but I, I just wasn't 100% yep. sure. But yep. um, just looking back on coaching in that Muncie area, coaching in the Indianapolis area, take us through that competition level that you guys are facing night in and night out. Again, Max Clark, Hogan Denny, all those different guys kind of take us through that competition level. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, for the most part, each team is going to have one or two absolute dudes, right, at the plate at least that – that you just don't want to let beat you, whether that's putting them on, whether that's working around them, shifting them, like every situation is going to be a little bit different. I think the really unique thing that we've seen in Indiana is the arms. The the level of arms has gotten to be absolutely tremendous. So, you know, if you look at the mid-state conference alone and you go through it, pretty much every conference school has at least one D1 caliber or D1 committed arm or more, right? So a lot of times you think about it and it used to be, Hey, when you get to travel, you're going to see better pitching. You know, like if you can hit high school, you're going to, you're going to rake. And to some extent, especially non-conference stuff, you still get that the depth isn't the same, but every team seems to have those one or two guys. So it's, it's very different. 1A was different in that sense um, to where a lot of times you had a, a dude arm was like low eighties. Uh, whereas now we get a lot of guys that are, are touching nines or low nineties coming at you. Um, and, and it's just adapting to be able to figure out how do you hit velocity at that point. And, and at the end of the day, like I said, they're all 15 to 18 year old kids. There's going to be some chink in the armor. Nobody's perfect at this point. And it's figuring out what that is and then making them do it. Um, you know, if, if, if it's a pitcher that's throwing 90, we can't touch it, but he doesn't want to defend his position. Like let's bunt him. Let's make him get off the mound and make 20 set 21 plays, right? Like bunt everybody. I don't care whatever's going to potentially be the most successful with that group. So it's, it's really unique. I think the, the growth of Grand Park has been tremendous. Um, the growth of the indoor uh, facilities around every side of Indianapolis has been tremendous. And, and we're seeing it with the overall level of the game in the state just being incredibly high. Um, and you're seeing that with recruiting. You're seeing that with, with better tournaments and, and outside people coming in on the travel side here. Um, but, but I would say it's really like on the conference side, it's prepping for arms. It's knowing what you're going to see and, and figuring out what that looks like um, and how to be successful against that. And then on the the lineup side, like you can't look at an individual, you really got to look at the full nine of where can you, where are the pockets that you know you can find success and how do you get to those pockets and avoid the ones that you feel like, Hey, we're going to get beat here. How do you find ways to, to split those guys in an inning to put somebody on where you can to, you know, figure out how to, how to limit that damage. Cause you're going to give up some, um, but how to limit that damage and then really maximize what you can do against the six, seven, eight, nine guys for certain teams, other teams, it's just the nine guy. And you're like, dang, we just got to compete and see what happens. You know, <laughs> like that's, that's part of it. And North central had one of those lineups last year that it was, you just got to go compete. Like they're hitting one through nine. And, um, that was one of the tougher games that we had in that opened County for us. And, and we won a three to two game there. Um, which was really awesome. But I mean, that was a lot of great defensive plays and, and a lot of pitching, um, late and, and some decision-making stuff, but it, it's really, it, it's a unique 
era of the game to where even the teams that historically haven't been good have people that like anybody can beat anybody. There's a lot more parity across the board um, when it comes down to like your number one versus another team's number one. Obviously, you get into the number fours and fives. Certain teams are going to stand out way more than others. But but the top guys from pretty much every school at the four level right now, top guys can pitch. So that's that's unique for sure. And you kind of touched on it there with, with you know, the growth of Grand Park, the growth of all yeah. these facilities is a, plays a huge factor into that. Obviously, you being the owner of Indy is, what is it, Extra Innings Indy South, I believe yep. is the correct yep. name for it. So I know that's an indoor facility there. I know that kind of plays a role for Bam Fam, plays a role yep. a little bit into, I believe, Perry Meridian as well, maybe. Um, yeah, kind of- every once in a while. So, like, it's weird with the high school rules, but there's certain times a year – like if rain or those things happen, you can go off campus. So we use it sparingly when when we need to, but for the most part, we're over at the high school at this point. Okay. But BAM uh, is there all the time. BAM and FAM are both there. Yeah. Okay. So with that, I do kind of want to make that transition from the high school side to yeah. your high school coaching career to more of the travel scene with BAM FAM. Uh, yep. First off, I want you to compare it. What's coaching high school baseball compared to travel baseball there in the summer? How did, what, what's kind of some of those differences? Uh, what's that comparison between high school and travel? So they're both busy in different ways. Um, but they're very different in the sense that like high school, you can plan two weeks in advance, right? You can know we have games Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So if we throw this guy here, he can come back here. You're running it almost like a, a major or minor league schedule or a college program, right? Like you can outline travel. Sometimes you're waiting on that tournament draw until a week and a half before. And based on the tournament you're in right before that you go deep guys have to throw, you might be lining it up four days in advance for the whole, whole time. Um, high school is grueling because it is everyday practice or a game. You got the on-field BP, you got the process of it all. Right. Whereas travel isn't quite as grueling like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but then you get into the weekends and it's grueling for those it's longer days, but it's less days. So it's, it's unique because like you get certain guys based on like real life and work schedules that can only do travel or certain guys that can only do high school. And it's all based on just the difference in, in those schedules. I think the overall like quality of teams, if you're in the right place, a, a elite travel team would beat an elite high school team every single time, um, or at least most of the time, right? So, and, and that's just because of the depth, because you're able to pull the best from all of these schools rather than just your best at that one school. But um, it, it's interesting because you see pockets of those guys when you're playing high school ball of guys that you see every single summer, all summer. And it's really unique because I think like the crossover is just some of the relationships that you get, not only with guys that you coach, but with people that you compete against consistently. And it's just friendly faces or people that you know, and you get to know them as players and people a little bit through that. So the the travel side for me, I think it is absolutely incredible because that's where the recruiting is primarily happening. Not that nobody gets recruited out of high school. I wouldn't say that, but but obviously the high school seasons during the, the college season, primarily college guys are, are a little bit. Uh, more free to be able to travel during the summer and the fall during the travel season. And quite honestly, like with them having limited recruiting budgets, if you can go to Grand Park with 26 fields versus go to one high school game, they're going to get way more bang for their buck to go to the travel stuff. So it's, it feels like there's still people that struggle with that shift or struggle to believe that. Um, But it's just a fact at this point of where the main recruiting is happening. So in my mind, like as a coach, there's a shift in high school. I tell guys all the time, our goal is to win baseball games, period. That is it. If you're a primary shortstop, but you help us best it in left field, you're going to play left field all season. When we get to travel, there's this balance, especially for the high school age groups to where, yes, we want to win games. That's an important piece, 
But at the end of the day, it's about getting our guys signed and getting them to the next level. So if you play short, like we have, we have six varsity shortstops on my travel team currently. Well, they're not all going to play shortstop every inning of every game. Right. So getting guys to buy into, Hey, some of, some of certain guys, uh, recruitability is their versatility. Like we need you to show coaches. You can play third, short, second and center field. Great. Other guys, it's that they're a dude at that one position. So yeah, you're going to be there. Um, but, but it's just figuring out what that role is for guys and having that shift to where like, I'm going to call way more bunts in high school than I do in travel, unless it's a tool that like they're going to use at the college level consistently. I'm not going to ask our four hitter to sacrifice bunt, even if the situation is right to do it. I need him to swing with a college guy standing behind the fence. So some of that changes. Um, and, and it was a process to get there because as a coach, like you're trying to win every single game that you play, but then you're also recognizing, Hey, I need to cut this guy at 60 pitches so he can go out and just throw Ched and really let it go. And he not ask him to throw 90 to hundred, like a high school game. So the the whole plan of how to go about it, how many players you need, what the depth looks like, how many pitchers, all of that is very, very different. And they're almost two different games because you can get away with the high school season of having six to seven arms that you're primarily using. If you have six arms and that's it going into a, a high school, high level summer tournament, you might make the bracket, but you're, you're in trouble once you get there because you need three or four more that are going to get you through that. So it's just very different on, on roster shape up and, and timeliness of all those things. But I, I you also don't have to wear, wear pants, which is nice. You, you can be in shorts. We did it. We wore pants for a little while on the front end. Um, and, and honestly, we only did it because college coaches would stop and we were a new program and they would stop just because we looked the part and ask who we were and, and get some info. And now that we've been around for 10 years, people know who we are. We don't feel like coaches need to wear pants anymore. So I like that part about summer because I can, I can rock shorts all yeah. summer and be a little bit more comfortable in being in a uniform. <laughs> for sure. But uh, let's kind of dig into the beginning there. Uh, it's, it's BAM fam now, but I believe at the beginning it was just Indiana BAM. Yeah. Um, so take us through, you know, obviously your partner there, Adam, take us through the connection yep. where that came from, uh, maybe the motivation to kind of get this program started. Yep. Take us through that beginning of how this whole thing got started. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we had one team to start and we were coaching our first year was in a different travel program. Um, and, and it was just a connection through the high school job that I had at Daleville to take, I think it was a 14 U team that first year. Um, and they were okay. We, we didn't do bad. Um, we had some issues with how things were run organizationally, just in the sense of like player development. It, it wasn't conducive to maximizing player development through the off season. Um, I don't think it was awful, but we just saw ways that, that we wanted to improve it. So at the end of year one, um, Adam and I, we went to college together. We got hooked up um, after to, to coach this team. He reached out about being an assistant. Um, and that's really where it started for us. And, and that relationship has grown over the last 10 years, obviously still working together. One of my best friends at this point. But um, when it started, like it was just, hey, we're going to do this for a year and see what happens. And we were young and, and they were going to pay us a small stipend. So it was like, cool, let's let's do it. Let's give it a shot. And after the first year, what we found was, that Muncie area is really unique because there is not a lot of, and maybe this has changed and I'm wrong, but when, when we were there, there's not high level travel right there. You have to travel a little bit more to the Indy area to get it, or you got to go a little bit more North up to Fort Wayne. Um, but there's nothing right in that pocket. So in our first year, we, we won a lot and we were able to recruit some of the best players from that region that just didn't want to travel as far as, as they would have to. Um, while we were doing that, we went down to a national tournament we had no business being there, but it was awesome. I think we went 500. It was, it was cool. It was a good experience. Um, but one of the vendors, they always have all their vendors there, right? And one of the vendors was a group called Baseball Academics. And it was it was two guys that were trying to start this app company 
that basically would shoot out defensive situations. And based on the position that you were playing, it would give you out inning score direction, all of that. You'd click on the base that you should go to. And I fell in love with the idea of the app. It was like, this is awesome. We're huge on training the mental side of the game. This is the baseball IQ side. And like I said, in the beginning, like we just asked the question, made him say, no, we said, how can we get involved? Like what, what can we do to help the product get off the ground? And little did we know they were looking for people, right? So that turned into um, their, their spokesperson for the app was Ned Yost when, when he was the manager of the Royals that turned into us getting to spend a, a good amount of time with Ned Yost working on the app and, and picking his brain about coaching. Um, and, and then they decided to outsource all of the programming, uh, the backend programming for the app uh, and the people who took it over screwed up the whole app and it to totally flopped. So like it was one of those, it didn't go where we wanted it to go, but we were in the process of coming up with the travel team and the baseball academics name kept coming up because we were working with the app and our thought process behind it was, you know what, even if the app doesn't work out, that's who we want to be. We, we want to be the baseball program that is teaching the academic side of the game and the academic side of the mindset. And, and that's what sets us apart. So like, we're going to run with the name. So it just started this bam. And the ultimate idea was eventually that, that we would maybe look to branch into other locations. And this was before all the national things, right? That's 10 years ago. Um, since then, I, I don't think that that's our move. I think there's some moves coming up, um, but there's just something unique and special about knowing all of your people in, in the place that you are and getting the chance to work with them and, and all that. There, there's also something that definitely is appealing about like a national brand or being able to go national to some extent. And, and I think there's a happy medium that we're trying to kind of figure out with some of that. But, you know, when we started with that second year, the app sponsored the program. Um, and it was just our one team. So, so it was baseball academics, Midwest. We had our one team, we played great. Um, and, and we were in a position that, that we could add, we wanted to double in size, which, you know, isn't hard when you only have one team. So, so we made it to two teams. And at that point, all of our off season was still taking place going into year two at Daleville in their gym and outside on their field. That's the only space that we had. And we knew long-term we were going to need some place indoors to call home. So, um, we built a, a business proposal for extra innings. We didn't know them at all. Um, we went in, sat down with the one-year, three-year, and five-year plan of, of what our program would do to help the indoor facility. And little did we know they were looking for, for two new owners. So that turned into, hey, do you guys want to hop on as owners? Here's what that would look like. So you know, we, we jumped on that opportunity, and Adam and I became co-owners at, at the facility at extra innings. Um, and, and once we got into a facility, it really gave us the vehicle to do all the things that we had wanted to do. And suddenly we saw bigger growth. So we went from two teams to 12. Um, after that third year is when we got hooked up with the Center Grove Lassie League. Uh, they had a travel program called the Explosion um, happening out of there for fast pitch. And we were able to, to meet with all the people involved in that, um, kind of walk them through what we were trying to do and where we were going and, and our mission as a program. Um, and they decided to, to fold the explosion and to come over and join forces and, and be the softball side, the, the fam side, fast pitch academics Midwest. Um, and we've been running with that ever since. So it's gone from, you know, the, the our average talent was okay. And we want to get guys to college to really like, I think what makes us unique is you, you get programs that have an A team and a B team and they're both like elite level players. And that's great. And we're all for that if we can do it. But for us, like we have different tiers. So we have signature prime diamond and gold. And the goal of that is we want to be able to help every player go from where they are to where they're going. And, and that could mean that you're elite. That could mean that you're just trying to make your high school team, but we still see a need that we can help develop. So for us, it's putting the guys on the right teams 
and then making sure that their schedule matches what their team level is. So you're not going to see a BAM gold team playing in bullpen tournaments or playing in the MPL. Like that's not going to happen. They're going to be more local stuff that, that isn't as national level because that's what they need right now. So I think for us, it's been really unique because we've found a niche within the market to really hit players of all different levels. And now that we've done it long enough, the last group that I had in the 2020 or 2019 group, no 2022s, sorry, our 2022 group, we, we had 10 D1 commits off of that team. Um, and, and we're over 140 college commits in four graduating classes. So we're doing things really, really well. We're excited about that, but there's always growth to happen. So, you know, in, in, in our mind, the growth isn't necessarily number of teams. It, it's refinement of process. And I think the people will take care of themselves if you're just good to them and, and you do things the right way. Um, and, and now going into year 10, like it's wild to look back at starting with one or two teams to where we are now and, and seeing the coaching tree of guys that are in the program that are now coaching high school, guys that have gone through our coaching certification process and really like just the connections that have been built. And now we're to a point that our first graduating class, like those guys are talking about coming back to coach. So that point I get to step back a little bit and, and maybe not do as much with some of it, but it's a really unique spot to see the program get bigger than the people who started it. Um, and maybe I'm, I'm weird in, in thinking that, but like, that's one of my, my coolest experiences are when people see me, I had one the other day, I had to work basketball at Perry and just take tickets and probably a 10 year old came in in a BAM hat and I gave him nuts and was like, love the hat, man. And the mom was like, Oh, do you, do you coach for BAM? And I was like, yeah, I do. And, and that was the end of the conversation. Right. But like, I love those because there are people out there who love BAM and have no idea who I am. And, and that's special, like in a really cool way. I think that that's one of the coolest things that like people know the product and what it's done for their kids, but it's not necessarily attached to this person. And, and that's where we want it to go is that it's bigger than any individual involved with it. Yeah. Um, so I do want to dig into maybe the roster construction for yeah. you know, is that going on. Um, so the going into that first year, you you and Adam were coaching for another program. Yep. You got to go in. What was that transition in terms of are you bringing a lot of those guys into your program or are you going out and recruiting maybe some other guys in that Muncie area? Yeah. To second team. How are you going about recruiting them all the way to you're at now to where I believe you said 42 teams. I believe yeah. you guys are at. Yeah, uh, kind of take us through that roster construction there at the beginning, but now even today, go ahead and yeah. market to guys and just continuously building that program. Yeah, for sure. I think initially it was it was a lot of like one, you have to be okay hearing no if you want to if you want to have a good team, right? There there are two or three programs in the state of Indiana that can just count on guys showing up to an open trial, and, and that's it. Um, and and we're getting there. But 10 years ago, we definitely weren't there and we're still not exactly where we want to be. So a lot of it was, you know, when you're playing other teams and, and you're seeing guys that are, are successful on other teams, it's writing those names down. It's getting a feel for players, for, for their region, all of that. And really there's, there's two, like, this is our secret, right? There's two main ways that, that we recruited on the front end. One of them was, hey, let's look for the, the worst players on the best teams who's who's number 12 13 that's not getting a lot of time they're clearly a talented player if they're on a great team but they're looking for an opportunity to be on the field so how do we go and talk to them and get put them in an opportunity that's good for them and two who are the the awesome kids on the really local teams and especially at the young ages you get those a lot because they want to play with their friends there's more local programs so who's the the really good kid who's the stud on that team that is ready to play with talent that's surrounding him that that looks the same um, and we found a lot of luck with, with finding those markets. And, and early we heard a lot about the college recruiting. Well, you know, we want to go to a place that can get assigned, which was totally fair. 
and, and that was the hardest part with recruiting players was how do we build college connections and, and know that we can tell players in full transparency, like we can get you recruited. And we weren't always able to do that. We didn't know on the front end exactly what that looked like. So that was the struggle. We definitely lost players early because of that. Um, but I, I think that Muncie area from, from having a successful season the year before, I think everybody came with us when we started the program other than two people. So we weren't replacing a lot. Um, it was just adding those final couple of pieces. And, and we ended up merging with a, a team from a different program that brought over four or five um, that, that really helped. And it was a tough situation because they were coming from a, a really well-known program in the state and they wanted us to go there, which probably made more sense looking back. Like we were starting something new versus going to something already established. And, and I give them a lot of credit for taking the leap and, and trusting us and coming that way because that first team was really solid, but it was because of that mix of what we brought and what we were able, what we were able to bring from the core from another team. And, and that's really, you know, still today, like one of the things that we try to do is, is bring cores over. I'll be the first one to tell you, like, I'm a big proponent of find a travel program and stay there if it's if they're providing what you need. And, and one of the things that I've actually tried to do, and I'd love to do it, is when we go to tryouts, I would love to have other programs in the state of Indiana and like their main selling points. Like, why should a player go and play for Bulls, Nitro, Canes, whatever that might be? Um, because I think it's all different. And I think like for the overall experience of travel ball, if if families knew what they're going to get out of it on the front end exactly, and there was clarity there, then people wouldn't be bouncing around as much as we see in the travel ball industry. So, you know, for us, that that's the clarity side. And I think that that's helped a lot because at tryouts, we tell them, hey, here's our parent expectations. Here's our player expectations. Here's our coaching expectations. Here's the training that they're going to get. So every player in our program gets um, 16 hours of, of mindset training. That's eight hours of baseball or softball IQ and eight hours of mindset peak performance training. They get uh, eight weeks of positional training. They get four weeks of indoor team practices. We do a Bambino and Fambino event. They get win reality for free. They get always grind books. Like there's a lot of resources that we provide and all of our coaches before they're cleared to coach, go through a 40 hour training program. And then if after they've done that, there's many certs that on the years following, they have to go through to get more acclimated to, to the other parts of the game. So there's a lot to it for sure from the development side that, that, you know, for us, it's two part one, the player needs to be able to attend. And, and sometimes we get players that are bought into everything, but schedule just doesn't work out. Like they can't make it to stuff. So it doesn't make sense for them to be there when they can go be on a different team. Or the other piece is like, we get a lot of players or we did early that didn't love the idea of development, but we were a good team and they wanted to come and play for a good team. And, and we were like, the lower end of those good teams, right? So like we were the one that they felt like they could make at that point. Whereas now I feel like we're getting players that are really bought into the mission of what we're doing, the development side, the mental training side and, and every aspect. So our player retention has been really high. So it makes it easier at tryouts because we're not looking for quite as many, but each of those tiers kind of recruits differently, right? Like for me, if I go into an open tryout for any team that I coach and I'm looking for more than two players, I've failed my team because I need to like, there, there's so much out there between PBR and bullpen and what you're doing. Like you can get information on players. So then, then you just got to go and talk to them and ask those questions and be okay. Having somebody laugh in your face early on and say like, Oh, I don't even know what BAM is. Like you, you guys are new. Like, I'm not going to play for you. Fine. Then you call the next kid because somebody along the line is going to buy into what you're doing. If you take the right approach and you actually are willing to hear no. Um, but it's hard to hear. And a lot of coaches don't want to do that. So like they don't put in the work to go and do that. So from our signature side, like my team has 19 players. Um, we, we grabbed, let's see, 
nobody from an open tryout this year, actually. Um, but we have three teams in our age group. We have one signature and two prime. Um, every single kid in the program will have an opportunity. That's 25s this year. will have an opportunity to play in college somewhere. They're not all D1 by any means. And all three teams will be competitive. Um, our, our signature team will be extremely competitive with anybody that we see all summer long with, with the pitching that we we've brought on this year, but all three teams are competitive, which is great. Um, I think the second, the, the two prime teams, I think we picked up four from the open tryout in that age group, but then you go down to like the 12 and 13s and they probably picked up 12 to 15 from the open tryout. So age group matters with some of that. Um, and then once you're in high school, like for us, if, if another kid tries out that we didn't have the previous year and his talent level is the same as somebody that we just had, the kid that we just had already understands our system, knows our program, is bought into what we're doing. Like we're going to stick with and be loyal to those people. Whereas if somebody comes in and they're just way better, we tell our guys like, there's no choice. We have to go with the, the more talented player at that point. So I, I think a lot of it for us, like the, the retention rate is high because we're honest and they know what to expect. And we tell them exactly where they are and where they need to improve. Um, and, and that definitely helps, but we've seen an increase. I think we had 700 ish at tryouts last year. So we've seen an increase every year in what that looks like. And, and hopefully someday we can just sit on our, our laurels and wait and, and show up to a tryout and take the best ones there. But um, I don't know if that's, I just don't think that's the industry right now either. I don't think that's how it's going to work for a long time. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess with all that growth that you guys have had to, you know, adding all these different players, obviously that means a lot of new coaches that you guys are hiring, bringing in. When it comes to looking for new coaches, hiring those guys, yeah. putting them through interview processes, um, you know, what are you looking for? You know, how does that go? How do you go about that? How do you go about finding these new coaches? Take us through that as well. We want primarily people that have a growth mindset and a passion for kids. Uh, like the, take baseball and softball out of it. If you have those two things, we believe that we can make you an effective coach. Maybe not the greatest coach of all time, but we want, we can make you an effective coach. So for us, the baseball and softball side work a little bit differently as far as coaches, the softball culture, as far as like paid coaches, just very different. And we're, we're working to bridge that gap. Um, but on the baseball side, everything at the high school age divisions is a, a non-dad paid coach. Um, the only exceptions to that are if there are dads who are also high school head coaches or high school baseball coaches, we, we allow that. Um, but like, we make that very clear to the team, like, Hey, yes, it's a dad, but they have a background in the game. They know what they're doing. Like there's, there's obviously more power to that, but for us, 15 to 17, what, what we're really looking for is coaches that have a growth mindset and, and really coaches that want to develop in their baseball journey and like be high school head coaches. I, I think like that's a big goal of ours is to, to really give them all the tools that they need to be effective away from just the BAM fan program. So, you know, we're, we're not afraid of younger guys by any means. I'm not afraid of older guys. We have some that their kids have graduated and they've come back to be assistant coaches and do that. But I think that the unique thing is with the training system that we have, we know what we're going to train them on. So as long as they're willing to, to hear different things, to be challenged, to grow and to learn as a coach, we can make them effective. But the one piece that you can't teach is like, do you actually care about the people that you're working with or do you just care about winning? And, and we don't want any part of coaches that just care about the winning side and don't care about the kids. Um, they can be great coaches, but not necessarily within the system that we're trying to run. So, you know, we'll get a lot of people that come in and they want to tell you, you know, how it is in an interview, you get a young coach, especially, and they want to come in and tell you how much they know and how great they are and all these things. And um, for us, it's, it's demeanor, body language, all of that in response to our questions. Like, well, what if we told you that we want you to run base running different? 
well, you see them start to shake a little bit and their arms cross like, okay, so maybe they're not the right fit. But you get a lot that are bought into it. And, and it's wild how many young coaches, because I, I wasn't there at the point, but we interviewed one yesterday that is so on board with like, I want to be great at this. And I know that this program is going to give me the opportunity to do that. Like, this is where I want to be. So that part is really unique. I think the hard part with it is because there's only one signature team in every, every age group, everybody wants the signature groups, right? Like naturally everybody wants that top team. And the age groups that we've had the most success in are the age groups that we have two or three teams and every coach is on the same page to where like this summer, for instance, there are, there are a couple players on our, our prime teams at the 17 U level that need national exposure, whether it's an arm or, or they're just good enough to get it, but they're blocked in certain capacities with the signature team. Well, we're going to bring those guys when we go to PBR nationals and, and the WWBA and MPL and a few of those different events, we're going to offer those guys the opportunity to come. And those coaches are on board with that because they know like this is about the kid and getting him signed into where he needs to be. And those are the age groups that are really effective because then we get bigger turnout of tryouts because they see the value in all of the teams in the age group. But we've always fought, and I think everybody does. You get a, a second team coach that develops the snot out of a kid and the kid's a stud and now he makes the top team. And that coach doesn't want to give him up because like, I just developed this kid. Now I'm losing my best talent. Like what, what the heck? So it's, it's balancing the, the ego piece of the coach with recognizing like, what's the overall goal or vision of where we're going with this and how do we set that up on the front end? And, and that's helped uh, on both sides. Like we can take a 14 year old into our facility, run them through a private workout and tell them, this is what your coaching staff will look like the next three years. This is what your college planning program will look like the next three years. This is what your mental training will look like. And we can really outline a roadmap for them of what it's going to look like. And I feel like we're, we're one of very few programs that can do that in that level of detail because there's just so much movement within coaches and the game and who's doing what. And that's just part of the industry. But I think being able to provide that type of or that sense of, of feeling I can have a home here for a long period of time, like that's really what we're trying to do. So that's been our biggest recruiting tool is like, we, we tell people all the time when you're coming in, we're not recruiting you for one season. Our goal is that you're here. Like we're bringing you into the program. We're going to invest in you and we expect that same investment back. So that's been, that's been nice to, to go through. Okay. So I guess looking back on the past 10 years, all the growth yeah. you guys have gone through, going from one team to 42, all these different coaches that you're hiring, all these players, yeah. all these different commits that you guys are having now as well. Looking back on it, what do you think has been the biggest reasons for all the success and all this growth that Bannon and fam have gone through the past 10 years. Um, as, as much of a cliche as it is, I think it's doing what we say we're going to do. And, and I think it's being as present as Adam and I, um, and, and there's nothing wrong with an owner who gets to a point that they don't have to be hands-on every single day. Like that's awesome. But like, we just absolutely love what we do. And like, I'm at, I'm at the facility almost every day whether it's lessons, instruction, running the positionals, talking with players, doing mindset training, like we love the hands-on approach. And, and I think it's easy for coaches under you to buy in and players to buy into that hard work pays off mentality that we really preach to our guys when they see the people that are, are running the program are living out exactly what they say they're going to do. So for us, it's, it's been that transparency. Um, I, I can tell you, like, I've literally sat and cried with a kid while cutting him because like, I didn't want to see the family go, but it was best for them to go a different route. Um, and those things are hard, but I would rather do hard and do it the right way than, than do the easy things and, and not deal with people the right way and treat them poorly. And, and that's really been, that's been the biggest thing. Like, it's crazy to me 
now looking at how many coaches we have, I tell my wife this all the time, like the amount of like-minded people that we have found that are bought into the same vision is huge. So the other piece of that is like, I feel like we've done a great job of developing a way of, of showing clarity of what our vision is and who we are and where we're going that people can truly see on the front end. And they can, they can decide like, this is either something I love or it's something that I hate and I don't want to be a part of. And either way, they make a decision and then we're not fighting the the translation every year of guys deciding to leave after one or whatever that is. So like that polarizing view has been really, really good for us in, in a big way. And that's like, that's the number one thing that we will continue to do regardless of where the program go, goes, how many teams we have, anything like that. Like it's, it's the transparency and like being who we say we're going to be every single day, um, which is hard, but like, that's, that's who I want to be. And that's who I want my kids to to grow up and see their dad being. And if I want that for my own kids, like I want that for the 450 kids in the program to know that like the people that, that they're seeing as their leaders are, are also doing the things that we're asking them to do. Okay. So uh, I guess beyond that administration side that you're going on with BAM, well, I guess the administration and coaching side, yeah. um, I see a lot of things on the website. I see a lot of, you've, I've heard a lot of things so far today about that mental side of the game. Yep. Um, so I kind of want you to take us through that. Um, you know, what exactly got, got you into the mental side? What is this training aspect that you guys go into with all of your players? Kind of yeah. take us through that mental side of the game of baseball. So it's really unique for us. I, I taught psychology for nine years. Um, I, I majored in secondary social studies education with a minor in psych. So um, I do have a psych, psychology background. And, and that's really where my interest started um, was just how the brain works, how somebody thinks. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to learn psychology and not start like implementing how to read people and body language and tone of voice. And like it, it just becomes a natural thing. And then you see athletes that are supposed to be confident and everything that they're doing to prepare themselves is killing their own confidence. And then they wonder why they're performing at, at a low level. So um, I, I think like professional sports have done a great job in the last couple of years of pushing the, the mental game. Um, it's always been happening, but now it's becoming more accepted. And, and it's one of those tools, like before you would ask an athlete, like when's the last time you worked on, on your mindset? And they would say, no, my mindset's good. Like I don't have an issue with it. And if you ask them, when's the last time you worked on your swing, they're not going to say, oh, my swing's good. I don't, I don't have an issue with it. Like it's a tool that needs trained just like any physical. So for us, it's really, it's really twofold in the way that we break it down from the program side. One side of that is baseball or softball IQ training. So that's cutoff relays, defensive situations, communication of players, um, hitting approach, two strike approach, squad goals, like all of the, the systematic approach things that we do as a program they're trained on. Um, and then the other side of that, is the peak performance component of understanding how to build confidence, how to build habits and routines, um, how to power phrase yourself or put yourself like in the right mindset in a short amount of time with the ultimate goal of any mindset training being like, how do we one create habits, but, but ultimately how do we put a player in a position that they can almost create their own flow state rather than having to be bounced into their flow state? Cause every athlete's experienced it when like, there's no thought going on at all. You just feel like you're floating. Everything's going well but very few athletes can put themselves there. So that's the ultimate goal is like, how do you, how do we get them to that point? And, and ultimately it comes down to a few different things. One, like players play better when they feel like themselves. So you get a lot that like try to be something different on the field and then they don't play well. So knowing their natural personalities, what makes them confident, what makes them tick in the first place. A lot of it is just, how do you translate that into like you on the field being an athlete? Like sometimes maybe you don't have to be the most intense person. Like maybe you're just more joyful and like, that's where you thrive. There's nothing wrong with that. So part of it is, is doing that. And then I think 
high school people in general lack consistency. Like that's, we, we were there too, but when you're 15 to 18 years old, like you're just not very consistent and, and it just gets worse the younger that you get. Right. So it, it's coming up with like, what are the daily routines that set you up for success? What, what are the things that you need to do every single day to build your belief? And when you can get them to understand that like your brain is like a computer and it's getting wired some way for you to think certain ways. And the question is, are you consciously doing that? Or is that subconsciously doing it itself? You start to realize that a lot of the, the disciplines that you have, the habits that you form, the thought process that you have, all of that is something that was created for you, but it wasn't something that you actually thought of and intentionally did yourself. So really big on, on talking to yourself more than you listen to yourself. The idea of like creating over consuming, don't consume your thoughts, create the thought process that you want to have. And then figuring out like simple ways to, to create success on the field with that. So one of the things we just talked through um, at our last mental training day, we'll do, we do three of them. Each one is in person. They'll go through about eight sessions on the day. They're taking notes all day. They're with their teams. It's awesome. Um, one of the ones that we talked through was we call it art class. It's just automated response training. So like when you think about it, if you're a defender, you get a hundred pitches a game. What are you saying between every single one of those pitches? And it's different for most kids. It's, Hey, here's our defensive situation. Here's what's going on. Sometimes it's don't hit me the ball. Sometimes it's I'm cold. Like it has nothing to do with the game. But think about how powerful it would be if you intentionally gave yourself that thought right before your prep set. Want the ball, attack the ball, boom, now we're gone. Like every single pitch, I'm building my own belief. And you do that 100 times a game in a travel tournament that's 600 times a weekend. That's a lot over the course of the summer. You're going to start to believe what you tell yourself the most. So little things like that where it's, okay, how do I build confidence quickly as a player? How do I implement that? And then recognizing the other pieces like failure response strategies because you're going to fail. So where do you go then? Because most of the time we fail and it goes to the negatives. Well, I stink or it's blame the umpire, this, the umpire, that no, it's extreme ownership. It is what it is. It takes what it takes. I move forward from here, but what's my action step. So getting them into a point that like they can really control or guide where those thoughts are going individually is huge. So we train that on the group level. Um, and then we offer online training programs as well that are like more in-depth mental training stuff, like every day for eight weeks. Um, and then we offer in person that's like one-on-one -on -one, a call every single week with other activities um, that I do with with players throughout the year as well and and the mental training stuff other than like the in-person three days that we do a year that stuff's open to the public which I love because I like working with athletes that that like aren't specifically BAM and FAM too so like any of our lessons or instruction through extra innings open to the public any of the mental training stuff open to the public um, so I have a, I have five that I work with three of them are college athletes right now um, I have a, a, a division one baseball player, division one basketball player, um, and then a, another D three basketball player. And they're awesome to work with. Like it's, it's weird working in the different sports and seeing the similarities of thought process between them and how to work through it with each individual. But that's been a huge piece for, for player success for sure is like getting them bought into their own belief. No doubt. Yeah. All right. So uh, last thing I do want to dig into is dugout coalition. Again, another yeah. thing that you are pretty big on, I believe you're a co-founder of that. Yeah. Um, I, I was able to do a little bit of research there yesterday, going through the website, got a good, I, good, I have a good grasp on what I believe you guys are doing, but yep. obviously you can explain it a little bit better. Kind of give us yeah. the elevator pitch on what exactly uh, Dugout Coalition is. Yeah. So Dugout Coalition was started during COVID when, when we weren't able to be in person um, and we were connected through Major League University and Austin Byler. He kind of connected us to Hot Corner Athletics and Ronnie Burnick out in New York um, and they do an incredible job. And, and ultimately the goal was, Hey, we're in COVID. How do we find ways to still train? 
right? So Dugout Coalition started as we did a month long during COVID every single day of the week, a, a baseball school for coaches and a baseball school for, for uh, players. And it was an hour a day on Zoom. We'd have a couple hundred people in there and we just have different topics of talking through the game. So ultimately it was started as like, how do we grow the game of baseball in a time period that there's really nothing going on? Um, since then, it's really turned from that into still that, but more more specific with coaches training. So all of the coaches training that our coaches go through isn't BAM specific, it's dugout coalition specific. And that's a mix of like, I did all the infield stuff for it. Um, Ronnie does all the hitting stuff. He's an incredible hitting coach. So it's, it's a mix of resources between what they have and what we have in creating coaching certifications that can be used for any program across the country to really check on quality control, right? And, and that's the big thing with like programs going national or, or having multiple locations, which is awesome. But sometimes what gets lost is that personal touch of quality control. And if they're training things the way that you want them to be trained and all of that. So for us, like th this can be something that hopefully uh, we're able to continue to grow outside of just our individual programs and get to other, get into the hands of other coaches. We've had some little leagues um, hop on board that really want like their coaches to have a, a condensed version of the 40 hour training cert. Um, and then there's a, an online drill uh, platform with it. So every player in a program that is using it, um, there's over 500 drills that are broken down, outfield, infield, everything, all things that they're able to do at home. Um, that way, you know, if they're with a coach, they're obviously going to have drills that they're doing. But that way they have things that they can train on their own. And there's no excuse of, well, I didn't have a facility. I didn't have this. Like there's tennis ball, wall ball stuff, easy things that they can do. So really it's it's just a huge resource of, of training for coaches and players um, that allows other programs, other people to, to really use that and, and control the quality of what they're putting out and, and really hone in on like the exact language that they want to use. Cause this is a sport that you can say the same thing a lot of different ways. So if within your program, everybody's communicating the same things in the same wording, it makes it a lot easier for players to comprehend and, and retain that information. So there, there's a lot of benefits to it, but it was, it was a unique experience to, to start it. Um, we're in a stage right now that COVID is over that like all of us are super busy. So the direction of exactly where it goes is a little bit up in the air. Um, but all of the coaches training stuff and everything with that is done. Um, and we've branched that out to a few programs. So excited to keep doing that and see, we have a few different options to kind of see where that leads in the future of what direction we take it. Okay. So when it comes to the coaching training, how, what, what exactly does it take to get certified for a, let's say like a little league coach to go on, go through certain videos, whatever, what does it take to get certified? Yeah. So what I would tell tell any individual coach is the the price of an individual cert is just like it would be for like an on base U or a drive line anything like that where where it's about 400, 500 bucks. It's a forty hour certification. It will take you eight weeks. Um, there's customer support on the back end, people responding, answering all your questions, all of that. That said, the way that we built it is really priced out for programs um, or leagues. So the way that we run it is um, basically depending on the size of your your program, we would want somebody to reach out. Um, easiest way is just reach out to the contacts on the website and we can get them set up with pricing because the easiest way to do it is we just include it in player fees at a very cheap rate. So call it 15, 20 bucks a kid that you add to player fees. And for that, everybody in the program gets all the coaches, get their coaches training, all the players get their player training, because that's really who we want to branch it out to. There's There's been some one-off coaches, which is awesome. Like I love that initiative from them. Um, but the way it's set up is great for multiple teams or people within the same group so they can go online and just order it themselves and get started um, but we would say like have them reach out talk to us about the group size that they have what they'd be looking to do 
um, and then we'd be able to talk them through what that what that pricing structure would look like. Okay. So with all the drills and videos that you guys have on the website, are those like submitted by all by you guys, or do you have certified coaches that will go and be like, here, here's a new drill that I've been trying. Here's a video of it, this and that. How exactly does that work on putting all that stuff on the website? Great question. So it is all of our guys have made the videos that said our guys include, you know, six or seven from hot corner, um, four or five from the BAM side of things. We've brought in a few others that like we've, we've paid to make some con additional content for it. Um, we would be open to, to other coaches and everything doing that. It's one of those unique things you see it with different apps, like um, especially with the the fitness stuff, they, they have some apps like train heroic is great, but because everybody can submit the quality of the videos in there sometimes isn't great. So there's a balance of like, and that that's kind of what we fought back and forth. If there's a balance of everybody submits and you have all of these drills and that's awesome, but only 40% are high quality versus they have to submit, we have to approve and then put it on. And it's just a tedious process. And that's where like, we just need more people that are bought into, into that because with us doing BAM and extra innings and them doing hot corner and teams there, um, it's just a timeliness thing of us having enough time to to sift through all that information, add it to the website, and do all of those things. But that is one of the one of the routes that we're looking to potentially go would be more collection from other coaches, being able to combine a ton of drills into one platform for for players to use. All right. Well, obviously, we talked a lot today about uh, you know dugout coalition, Bam Fam, your high school coaching career. Um, you're still a young guy, still plenty of years ahead of you within the baseball world. Um, so as we look ahead here to 2024. 2025 years beyond that as well. Kind of take us through, you know, what are some of those goals? Maybe what's that vision going ahead for these next couple of years for BAM fam, for high school coaching career, for dugout coalition, kind of take us through where you kind of see these next couple of years going. Yeah. I've, uh, I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of weeks trying to gain some clarity on all of that because it, it's a unique year where this is my last year with my current team um, for, for travel. And my kids are getting to an age that, you know, it's really important to me to be at their stuff. They're both playing and loving it. So um, at this point, I'm year to year with high school, uh, definitely doing this year and, and hopefully doing one more. And then we'll see from there, um, dropping to either 14s or 15s next year. Um, and, and we'll take that group the whole way through, just working through which which group I'm going to, which group of different coaches going to on that front. So from, from the personal side of things, like I would love to coach college baseball eventually. Uh, I think um, that, that hopefully I have opportunities to do that down the road, but that's going to be at this point, probably after my kids are, are out of the house, I don't want to travel like that while, while they're home and, and miss their stuff. So for me, like, it's funny when you're a young coach, you want to prove everything to everyone. And, and as you get older, um, at this point, like I, I'm in this phase where like, I just want to prove to myself that I, I can prove myself right and do the things that I've said, I'm who I say I am. So at the end of the day, like, I don't feel like I have anything to prove as a coach. Um, I think I've done that to, to some extent. That said, um, we're far from finished with with where we're going. So my involvement with with the travel side is is going to continue to increase. We have some things that I can't openly talk about yet, but that that will be shared in the near future, I'm sure, about kind of direction of, of the program and and what that's going to look like on both the baseball and softball side. Um, some things that we're excited about and, and potentially um, you know, looking at, at growing the lesson side of things a little bit more. I love the the mental training stuff. And, and that's like my piece that's still left of teaching. And, and I enjoyed that a lot. So I get to, I get to do that and, and definitely want to grow in those areas. So for me over the next couple of years, it's dropping to a different group and, and starting fresh building culture again, um, being, being a present dad and, and husband at, at home for my family. 
Um, and then from the mental side, like hopefully going back and getting a, a master's in sports psychology um, so that I can really take what I'm doing from the mental training side to the next level. And, and then from the infield training side, um, I do a lot with that. I've, I, it's on looking at my vision board right here and, and my goal is in the next two years to get an opportunity to speak at the ABCA and, and either talk mindset or infield and continue to grow the game. I, I think at first you want to grow yourself and what you do. Um, and as you go through it, it, it becomes more important to grow the game and grow the connections and, and have as big of an impact as you can. So that will continue to be my goal. What that looks like is, is constantly changing and fluid. But as long as I feel like I'm impacting young athletes um, in a way that helps them pursue what they want to do long term, then, then I feel like I'm living out what that vision is for me. Okay, awesome. Well, again, like, like I said, that's my final question here for you. Thank Before you. we do end it off, how do we how do how do these listeners get to find you? Social media, yeah. or, uh, you know, kind of give them that. For sure. I am awful at Twitter other than like reposting things for recruiting stuff. So I would not follow me on Twitter. I'll openly say that um, Instagram and TikTok are probably the biggest um, with a lot of mental training and infield content on there. Um, the personals for both of those is Coach Banwork 20. Um, and then for the Bam and Fam stuff, Twitter's a great follow, but but same thing. Instagram is huge on that too. Um, and that would be IN underscore Bam Fam. Um, my personal email, all of that is on our website too. So for anybody that has other questions, feel free. That's that's email and cell phone number right on there. Would love to connect with anybody that that wants to learn more uh, about what we're doing or would like to get involved and, and see where that goes from there. Okay, awesome. Well, there we go. Here we go. Again, let's go on the show. Um, you know, it was cool learning everything that you had going on. You know, obviously I've always seen that Indiana Bam, Indiana fam name yeah. around. I have a couple of your guys there at that battle of the Midwest that I got coming yep. up here in March. Um, so I've always been seeing your name, but obviously, you know, I was pumped to kind of get to see how everything has kind of come to fruition and everything that you've built. Um, so that was super cool. Kind of listen to that today, but again, just appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you.